Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 68. I'll divide this service the way I did last Lord's Day. We will look at the doctrine of God's preservation of His words, and then we'll look at some examples of the corruption that's being made today of those words. There is a battle for the Bible, and we want to fight the good fight of faith based on our trust in the words of the Bible that God's given us, and it's been here for almost 400 years now. In just a few years, we will get to celebrate the 400th anniversary of this Bible that God has mercifully blessed the English-speaking people of the world and thousands of others by translations into their tongues from this Bible. You are very, very blessed. It was already prayed today that many before us did not have all the Scriptures, had portions of it, Small portions sometimes. We have the whole thing. We can easily buy it at any store. And they're God's words, and they've remained inviolate for 400 years. We'll prove all that before we finish this series. Psalm 68 and verse 11 is a verse that I read to you last Sunday, and we want to look at it again. Psalm 68, 11, the Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those that published it. We believe the Bible is inspired by God. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. We believe that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So what the Bible we have is one message from one author, the author being God Himself, and the writers being about 40 over an 1800 year period of time that gave us the precious words of God. We're thankful for every word. The Lord gave the words. The Lord gave the Word. The Word is the collection of His words. The Lord gave the Word, and great was the company of them, those that published it. We want to be thankful for everyone that's been in that illustrious company, whether they were scribes under the Old Testament or martyrs under the New, that have kept for us the words of God. You read a story like William Tyndale, who died at the stake, who cried out for God to open the eyes of the King of England. And we see that prayer answered, don't we? What's the first word of the name of your Bible? The King James Version of the Bible. Because God did open the eyes of a king to give us Scripture. He laid down His life so that you could have the Bible in your language. We are greatly blessed. And we want to fight the fight of preserving these words. Last Sunday, you were to have read Jeremiah chapter 36, which told the story of Jehudi and his penknife, cutting up the Word of God and throwing it in the fire. Was God able to preserve His Word that is cut up and burned in the fire? Amen. Amen. Jeremiah 36 is a wonderful chapter, and I hope it encouraged your heart that God was able to give those words all over again. They were written right down from the same mouth by the same pen in another book by Baruch. Baruch was asked, where would you get those words? I love his spirit. Well, Jeremiah pronounced them, and I wrote them down in the book. I've already said that once this morning, but I hope you you can hear that Baruch had the same spirit as the blind man in John chapter 9 when he was addressed by skeptics. A man that puts his trust in the Lord does not respect those that are proud or those that turn aside to lies. And the Jews in Jehudai's day were turning aside to the lie that they could fight Nebuchadnezzar and succeed. And Jeremiah had the message from the Lord, Submit or it's over. That was Jeremiah 36, a wonderful chapter about God's preservation of Scripture. Last evening, you were supposed to read 2 Kings 22, and that's when Josiah, at the age of 18, 
initiates a revival in the nation of Judah and has the temple rebuilt. I hope you read the passage. If you didn't, read it this afternoon. 2 Kings 22. 18-year-old young man caring about the house of God has it rebuilt. And while they're rebuilding it, they find there the word of God that had been lost. The scribe that Josiah had sent to to check out the building read the scroll, brought it to King Josiah and read it to him. As soon as this 18-year-old young man, this is a young man that deserves our commendation and affection. An 18-year-old young man named Josiah tore his clothes and said, Go inquire of the Lord, because those chapters of Jeremiah, of of Deuteronomy that you just read me, are describing God's great judgment on this people. Go see if there's any mercy left with the Lord. They went and inquired of the Lord and brought back the message, I will bring those judgments to pass on this nation of Judah. I will pound them for their abominations that they have committed. But because you were tender toward the words of God, I will spare you and you shall go to your grave in peace. That is the God of heaven. The God of heaven is able to judge His people and pound them all, which He did the nation of Judah with the armies of Nebuchadnezzar, and save individuals within the judgment, like He did Jeremiah, like He did Baruch, like He did the Ethiopian eunuch that served the eunuch that served Jeremiah, like He did King Josiah. But notice, what was the basis for God having mercy to Josiah? He was tender and humbled and broken before the words of God. Do you love the words of your Bible? We look at those words this morning. We look at them carefully. And as it is appointed. We looked at every single word, every verb tense, every conjunction, because there is meaning and significance in every one of those words. God will have mercy on your soul. 2 Corinthians 2.17 He loves His Word. He despises those that hate it and that tamper with it. Remember what He said in the end of your Bibles. He said, if you add to these words, I'll add to to you the plagues that are described in this book. You take away from these words, I'll take away the portion you think you have in the book of life. It is serious business to mess with the words of God. But there have been, from the beginning, men that tried to corrupt the Bible. Look at 2 Corinthians 2.17 and the words of Paul. In 60 A.D., approximately, Paul wrote, For we are not as many which corrupt the Word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. The Apostle Paul is showing that in his day, 2,000 years ago, men were corrupting the Word of God, and how many of them were there? Many. For those of you that have a false version, I don't really want you looking at the false versions right now, but if you were to look at your false version in 2 Corinthians 2.17, it reads like this, For we are not as many which peddle the Word of God, or some other newfangled word for the word peddle. They don't want the word corrupt there because they have a guilty conscience. Whether whether it is consciously exercised or not, they altered the word corrupt. For we are not as many which peddle the Word of God. They make peddling the Bible the sin instead of corrupting the Bible the sin like Paul and the Holy Ghost did. In that verse. Oh, we have a lot more to look at. But this is a warning from Paul that even in his day there were many corrupting the Word of God. 
Revelation 12:17. Revelation 12:17. This is a description of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and the devil's efforts to destroy her. We are not talking about established religion of any denomination. We are talking about the small, persecuted, despised churches of Jesus Christ. Revelation 12:17 and the dragon was wroth with the woman. The devil hated the church and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's you and me. Amen. We keep the commandments of God. We read the commandments of God. We keep them. We teach them. We preach them. And we have the testimony of Jesus Christ because we have the Bible. The devil hates us and the devil is trying to exterminate us from the earth and to ridicule us and despise us for holding to the words of God. And we're going to hold to them. All you young men, especially, are very important to me. I want you to love the King James Bible. I want you to get excited when I make fun of the false versions. Because I want you to feel like you're little prophets like Elijah. That you want to call fire down from heaven and burn up the prophets of Baal and all their Bible versions. I want you to hold fast to the King James Bible. They're going to try to take it away from you. They're going to try to make fun of it. Don't you let them have it. You can destroy them with this book. This book is what built this country. This is America is great because they taught and preached this Bible. America is no longer great because they don't teach and preach this Bible. America is insolvent. There's been a huge change in the last 50 to 100 years as the other versions have proliferated. We believe that the King James Bible is Holy Scripture. We don't worry about saying it's been inspired. We don't believe the translators were inspired. We believe that God providentially oversaw His text to give us His words. The way that we can express it is the King James Bible is Scripture. I can read it like Scripture. I can believe it like Scripture. And I can argue it like Scripture. Let me show you why we believe that. Turn to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. When the Ethiopian eunuch was blasting along through the desert. What was he reading? Isaiah 53. But what was that thing called that he was reading? Scripture. Scripture. Acts chapter 8 and verse 32. The place of the Scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. Now we know where that comes from. It's Isaiah 53. Now would you explain to me, for all those that say they believe that God gave the original autographs, and that everything else is inferior, and that we need to go back to the original autographs in order to get God's words. Why didn't Philip say, like every other preacher in this city practically, well, a better rendering of those words, poor eunuch, would be such and such. He took the words as they were in the book that the eunuch had as Scripture. Because God had providentially preserved Scripture, but Philip did not need to change the words. He just needed to teach the words. Now, if you think those were originals, you don't know much about the Israelites and the Jews. Because this was a black, castrated Gentile. Do you think they would have given him the original to Isaiah? Do you think that Candace of the Ethiopians was rich enough to have bought the original of Isaiah for a black, castrated Gentile? And I love the the Ethiopian eunuch. He's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. As soon as he hears about Jesus Christ, he didn't need Philip to tell him about baptism. He said, see, here's water. 
What doth hinder me to be baptized? And as soon as he was baptized, he went on his way rejoicing. I love his joy. I love his zeal. And I love his spirituality for reading the book of Isaiah. They didn't have the originals. They had Scripture that God had preserved. And Philip did not call it anything else but Scripture. And neither did Luke, who wrote the book of Acts for us. Go to Acts 17 and verse 11. 17, 11. Can you imagine the unit coming into a Christian bookstore in Jerusalem? I'd like to buy the original of Isaiah 53. Would he have been laughed at a town? He had a few things against him. But he got Scripture, didn't he? It's another reason I love him. Do you know what it would have taken for him to get his hands on some Scripture? It had taken a little bit of effort. But he had Scripture. And he was reading it. He couldn't wait to get home. Do you ever get motion sickness in a car? Try a chariot bouncing along in the desert reading Isaiah 53. He couldn't wait to get home, so he went ahead and read it anyway. Right. It takes me about 60 seconds to read in a moving automobile to get sick. Reminds me of being on a sailing boat with a couple of the men in here. But he was in a chariot reading Isaiah 53. Here we've got some more in Acts chapter 17. These are the Bereans. It says in verse 11, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the Scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Acts 17, 11. This is Berea. This is across the Mediterranean Sea from Israel. Did they have the originals? But they were searching the Scriptures. Are the Scriptures the originals? Are only the original Scripture? They had copies or translations, or translations of copies, or copies of translations. And it was called Scripture in the Bible. It's not that you never read in the Bible, but a better rendering from the original would be. And they weren't looking for anything like that. They searched the Scriptures to see if what Paul was preaching was the truth, and they had the Scriptures on the wrong side of the Mediterranean Sea. Don't let anybody tell you about the originals. The originals were never put in a book by anyone at any time, anywhere. No one ever read the originals except the very few people that is such an infinitesimally small fraction that we won't even deal with it. And they never read more than one or two originals that were written specifically to them. The originals have bore no fruit in this world. The fruit of God's Word in this world has been bore by copies, translations, and copies of translations and translations of copies. And that's the Scripture in the Bible. The, the, across the Mediterranean Sea. Now see, I just don't understand it. If the originals are Scriptures, how the Bereans could have it on one side of the Mediterranean Sea, and yet the unit could be reading it on his way to Ethiopia, going south through Africa. Because copies and translations are Scripture when they're preserved by God. Second Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Do you understand that the Bereans had something, a thing, in their possession by which they could check, prove, test, and try the Apostle Paul? Is that a pretty good safeguard against the ministry? When you've got something that you can hold in your hand and that you can check every day to see if what some minister is telling you is the truth or not? They had copies or translations or copies of translations, or translations of copies that were so good 
they could try the Apostle Paul by the words of their Bibles. And that's what the Bible always, the Bible always addresses Scripture that way, except when it's in the hands of wicked men who corrupt it. As we read in 2 Corinthians 2.17. 2 Timothy 3.15, Paul said this about Timothy, And that from a child thou hast known the holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now this doesn't make sense. Timothy's got Scripture, and he had it as a child, and he had it in the little town of Derby where he grew up, which was across the water from Thessalonica and Berea, where they had the Scriptures, which was a long way north from the Ethiopian eunuch that was reading them in his chariot on his way back to Ethiopia. But it's called Scripture. And then look what it says in verse 16. This can't be true. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Does that mean that Timothy had something that was inspired by God when he was a little boy? Absolutely it does. The inspired words that God had given and that God had preserved and brought them to Timothy were inspired Scripture and he had them as a child. Whenever some man says to you, the only thing that we can trust are the originals, he's never seen the originals, he's not rich enough to buy the originals, the originals do not exist, he knows they don't exist, he has no authority, and he has taken from you the only authority and check you have on his ministry. But in the Bible, no one ever did that. You have in your hands the preserved words of God, and you can hold me accountable by those words. The originals are nothing. God inspired writers to write down His words. God pronounced them either internally or externally, and they wrote them down. Those originals were quickly copied so many times they fell apart and they went out of existence. Then there were copies, and there were translations, and I'm going to say it for the fourth time. There were copies of translations and translations of copies, and that's what's here in the New Testament. And God calls it inspired Scripture. Do you know what you hold in your hands? Inspired Scripture. What is our position on the King James Bible? It's inspired Scripture. Well, does that mean that the King James translators were inspired? No, we didn't say that at all. We just said the King James Version is inspired Scripture. Because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and the King James Bible is Scripture. We're sorry you don't have any Scripture. But we've got it. That's where we stand. We stand with the Bereans, the eunuch, and Timothy. You know, his grandmother and his mother had it before him. Taught him the Scriptures from a child. Thanks be to God. We have the Scriptures. And we can teach them to our children, just like Lois and Eunice taught it to Timothy. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. The point I just made is exceedingly important. For the last 50 years, last 75 years, last 100 years, men, whenever they write about the Scriptures, say, we believe in the Holy Scriptures as given in the original autographs. And to them, every controversy of doctrine and practice should be pursued. But there is no such thing as an original. They've never had it. They can never get it. And they are talking about a phantom because they have no authority whatsoever. Are you with me on that? There are no original autographs. The Bible never appealed to original autographs. And when there were original autographs, they were locked up in the Ark of the Covenant. Nobody could read them. When God wrote the Ten Commandments, where did those Ten Commandments go? Into a printing press? And then the newspaper? Or into the Ark of the Covenant? 
And do you know what it says about the king who would have the most money and the most authority? It says when the law is copied out for the king, bring it before him and read it to him. Go read it in Deuteronomy. Copies are all a king ever got. Because the originals would have been used up from copying them so many times. God never appealed to the originals ever. And He can replace originals whenever He wishes, and He can replace the words of the originals whenever He wishes, and He can oversee them, and He can, he can keep them safe in a closet until there's a, a construction project going on, and Josiah finds them in the temple, lost in the corner of a closet. Amen. Right. That's our God. That's and do you know what all that depends on? Your faith. That's right. If you approach the Bible like any other book, like a natural man without faith, You'll never believe what I'm talking today. And I have nothing to say to any scholar or educated person that is not full of the faith that God gives in His Word. Because everything we're saying is according to the testimony of Scripture, and the only way that it has meaning is for a man that has faith. If a man's not born again, if he's in love with education, if he's in love with his Ph.D., his Th.D., his Doctor of Literature, if he's in love with any of that, he won't see the truth because God's promised to hide the truth from his eyes and reveal it to us, his little babes. Do you believe that about the Bible? This is the blessed God and how much our Heavenly Father loves us. He's hid the truth from the wise and prudent, and He's revealed it unto babes. We have a wonderful Father in heaven. He has protected us. And do you know what He says in Psalm 40? And He says a whole lot of other places, but I want to use a place we read today. If you'll put your trust in Me, you won't give any respect to the proud, and you won't give any respect to men that turn after lies. We are going to reject all textual critics that end up with anything but inspired Scriptures in our hands in the King James Bible. And on what basis? On the basis of faith. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says, Prove all things. Does that mean we're sheep? We just go around believing whatever's told to us? We're not sheep at all. We prove all things and hold fast that which is good. But what is our criterion by which we prove all things? The Word of God. We are not sheep. They're sheep. Listen, those educated intelligent sheep copy each other and have copied each other for the last 124 years. There has been no advancement in translations of the English Bible at all in 124 years. They are still using Vaticanus and Sinaiticus and copying Westcott's and Hort's work of 124 years ago. They're the sheep. We're proving all things and holding fast that which is good. And guess what that means about that which is bad? We throw it away and ridicule it. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. We start with faith. The number one proof that the King James Bible is God's words depends on the argument, the logic, and the proof of faith. We start with faith. There is no textual apparatus, critical apparatus, or book on textual criticism in all the world that even allows the idea of faith except those men that believe that book is God's Word in English. They do not start with faith. They start with manuscripts and their education and their intelligence and their labors are going to restore God's words for us because, you see, they've been lost until they were found in the Pope's library or the wastebasket on Mount Sinai in St. Catherine's Monastery. That's where the two manuscripts came from. Vaticanus and Sinaiticus. 
It's called Sinaiticus because it starts out by being spelled S-I-N-A-I. It comes from Mount Sinai. Those are two forgeries. And they're saying, with our expertise, our ability, and our naturalistic methods, and our unbelieving skepticism of God's Word, we're going to restore Scripture to you because the originals have been lost. They never entertain faith. And you know what? Our arguments start with faith. The Bible tells me, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Do you know what the kingdom of God is? It's Jesus Christ exercising His regal authority and power as a king. And part of that is keeping His word. And you can't even see it unless you're born again. If you're not born again, can you be a textual critic? There isn't a chance. But what if you have an IQ that's 212? Not a chance. 212 is going to hurt you bad. Better be 112. You'd see a whole lot better if it was 112 than 212. You say, that's sick reasoning. Oh, no. He's hid these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them unto babes. Oh, yes. Education and intelligence never got a man anywhere. You want to look at the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ? Can you bait a hook and can you throw a net? Can you run around naked on your ship? Then you could be an apostle. That's Peter, your brother. May I introduce you? He probably hasn't had a bath this morning. But he's an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the men God chose. Look at Elijah. He's wandering around in skins. John the Baptist comes the same way. Do you think John the Baptist was Phi Beta Kappa? What, in the school of locust eating? He was in the wilderness until the time of his revealing. He was a wild man. He lived in the woods. God gave him the truth. That's where we start is by faith. By faith, except a man be born of God or born again, he cannot even see the kingdom of God. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is so contrary. There are hundreds and hundreds of texts that have been written on textual criticism. Textual criticism is the science, and the Bible calls it the science, science falsely so called. They claim that it's a science. They claim that it's a science where they can go back and using their intellect, their intellect and their, pre- their assumptions and their rules, they can take different manuscripts and recreate the originals. Faith, God, providence, the Holy Spirit, the churches of Jesus Christ, ministers, simple believers, all those things are totally thrown out of the equation. We will do it by our intellectual power and by our institutions of higher learning. God has never used either for the preserving of His Word. He has providentially overseen His Word and kept it for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the whole chapter should and could be read, but I'll limit myself. Look at verse 12. Let's go to verse 11. Verse 11. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. The only way you can know the things of God are by the Spirit of God. If you're not born again with the Spirit of God, you are not going to figure out the things of God. And would you say with me that the Bible is a thing of God? Is that difficult to figure out? If you're not born again with the Spirit, you're lost. In more ways than one. Verse 12, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. It's spiritually understood. Verse 13, Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, 
comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Listen to these words. These words have no room, no allowance for institutes of, institutions of higher learning or educated men or intelligent men. It's by the Spirit of God, and I'm going to tell you something about Him. He's rather educated. He doesn't need any man to be His teacher, and He's rather intelligent. He's got the wisdom and understanding of the universe. So we do believe in education and wisdom, but it's the education and wisdom of the Holy Spirit of the living God. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. The natural man would laugh and mock and scorn any sermon like this on the preservation of God's words because they are totally sold out to adoring themselves and their institutions of higher learning and the letters that they love to stick behind their names in flagrant defiance of the Lord Jesus Christ who said to let no man call you any such thing. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? See, there he is. He's, a, he's rather educated, isn't he? You can't instruct him at all. But then it says we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Look at that. It's a spiritual, it's a spiritual situation. Faith is the first argument. And it's the logic of faith that we start the discussion of God's words and how He's preserved them for us. We don't have to answer all the questions. We start with faith. If God said it, that settles it. We don't even have to believe it. If God said it, that settles it. Hebrews 11, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So we start with faith. If we start textual criticism, trying to decide, is it the King James Bible, or is it the Cotton Patch Version that is God's Word in English? We've got the cotton patch version up here someplace. There it is, right there. The cotton patch version. How do we know which is the Word of God? We start with faith. And so we start, we start reading the Bible and see what it says about Scripture, and we can come to some pretty good conclusions. And before I get done, I'm going to give you upwards of 50 identifying marks that the Bible itself gives for you to know that the King James Bible is God's Scriptures in the English language. The first run is faith. You start with faith. You've got to be born again, and you've got to believe God, because God said it, and that settles it. Through faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Right. Is there anybody that can give the evidence of what happened to the originals? No one. No one knows what happened to the originals. Now, we have evidence of what happened to the originals. The originals were copied, translated, copied, and translated, copied, and translated, copied, and translated until they ended up in your King James Bible. What evidence do we have for that? Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. In the same way that I know God made everything out of nothing by His spoken Word, I know He got His words to me in the King James Bible. It's by faith. It's faith. And do you know what? No matter how dumb you are, no matter how uneducated you are, do you know what you can have? Faith. No man can take that away from you, no matter his intellect or his honorary or his earned degrees. You have faith and you can tell him to shut up and you can walk away and rest securely on trusting God's words. They want to steal that from you just like the priests of Rome 
for 2,000 years tried to steal the words of God from the people of God by having the Mass in Latin and not allowing them to read the Word of God in the vulgar tongues. The, the textual critics and the pastors today are the very same way. They get up in the pulpit and they say what a better rendering would be. The original says, they've never seen the original. They're lying. They've never seen the original. And if you ask them and say, what's the original to you? And they say, Nestle's. When they say Nestle's, ask them, which of Nestle's 27 versions is the original? Nestle did the New Testament 27 times. And he still got it wrong. Thank you. We believe it by faith. Brethren, Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Because you got an extra hour of sleep last night, I feel pretty bold about the clock. Amen. Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4 is one of my favorite passages in the Bible version issue. Oh, look at Abraham's faith. Who is called the father of the faithful in the Bible? Abraham. Is Abraham an example of faith to us? Is he in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11? Indeed. Verse 17. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Let's pretend it was written, I have my inspired words in the King James Bible. Just keeping that in mind. I want you to to make a comparison as I read through. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. When God told Abraham, I have made thee a father of many nations, how many children did Abraham have? None. I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Abraham wasn't a father yet, but God could say, I have made thee a father, because when God purposes to do something, it's as good as done, and He can change verb tenses. You can't, but He can. Verse 18, Who against hope, believed in hope. Did he have some hope that he could have a son? Did he have some hope that he wouldn't have a son? Was Was he weak in hope at some times? Who against hope, believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. It's what God said that gave Abraham hope. And being not weak in faith, here's a man that's strong in faith. He considered not his own body now dead. When he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Sarah had hit menopause decades before this. She was as dead as could be reproductively. Abraham was having trouble with his grasshopper in more ways than I can describe in a public setting. He knew that he was totally dead. And I am not being crude. I'm using Bible words for a, for a practical issue that happens in men's lives when they're too old. Abraham knew that he was reproductively dead. He knew that Sarah was reproductively dead. But he was strong in faith. And here is how a man is strong in faith. He considered not his own body now dead. When he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not. The textual critic wants to make you stagger. The textual critic wants to throw a thousand questions at you. How can the King James Version be God's Word? How can 1 John 5, 7 be God's Word when Erasmus stuck it in in the 1500s? How can the King James... Question after question. But a man with faith never staggers. He believes God and he, th- he does not listen to any of those men. 
those proud men that are puffed up on their learning that have no faith. He staggers not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being a, a little tiny bit persuaded that the King James might be Scripture, and being fully persuaded that what He had promised, He was able also to perform. If God promised something, He's able to perform it. God said, I am a father of many nations. I believe that. God is able to take my dead body and my wife's dead body and get a child out of it somehow. I don't know how. I'm not going to stagger. I'm not going to consider how it's going to happen. I'm not going to consider all the questions that make it difficult. I'm going to believe it because God is able to keep His promises. That is faith. Are you with me? It does not matter what questions are thrown at you by any textual critic or anybody who believes one of these false versions. We are going to show that there is plenty of evidence in the King James Bible that these are the words of God. And when anybody raises questions that you cannot answer, just walk away from them and say, God said it, that settles it. Sorry, goodbye. I'm sorry you don't have a final authority. I'm sorry you don't have Scripture. And I'm sorry that you're using a version that's going to be outdated and replaced in less than three years. It's by faith. Glorious. We walk by faith, not by sight. They, They want to see if they can make a list of manuscripts all the way back, which they can't. They lose about 800 years. They lose out. They want to make something by sight so that they can look and see, well, this is where it came from. We don't believe any of that. We walk by faith, not by sight. We believe that God has preserved His words. He wouldn't have inspired Scripture unless He was going to keep it for us. It's a matter of faith. Furthermore, in the matter of faith, God blinds and hardens unbelievers to keep them from seeing the truth. When men exalt themselves in their education, their intelligence, God blinds them so they can't see it. So there's a double whammy here. He's already chosen to give the truth to His simple saints. But when men get puffed up and think that they are going to restore God's words, or they're going to sit in judgment on God's words, He blinds them. An example of the 66 books in your Bibles. You have 66 books in your Bibles. They start with Genesis, they end with Revelation. Catholics have 75. How where did the 66 come from? If you ask a textual critic, would you tell me how you determined the 66 books? They'll hang their heads. They do not know where the 66 books came from. If they've been sucking at the tit of Rome, they'll say that it came from the Council of Carthage in 397 A.D. 400 A.D. That's where they came from. Because that was a council that listed the 66 books, especially the 27 of your New Testament. But I showed you a few weeks ago that according to 2 Peter 3:15 and 16, and according to 1 Timothy 5, about verse 18, the apostles, while they were writing the New Testament, were already confirming each other's Scripture in that time. And why in the world would Paul tell Timothy the Scriptures that would make the man of God of the New Testament perfect unless Timothy had a New Testament? Or was about to have his New Testament. The canon of 66 books. You know what? They don't know where it came from. They do not know why we have the epistle to the Colossians and we don't have the epistle to the Laodiceans. In Colossians chapter 4, it tells Paul said, I've written an epistle to the Laodicean church. I want you to go get their epistle and I want you to share yours with them. So there's two equal epistles. 
One to the Colossians, one to the Laodiceans. Why do we have the Colossians in our Bible and not the Laodiceans? Nobody knows. But I know and you know. Through faith, we understand that the words of God were preserved with the power of God and kept for the King James Bible. Just the same way, we believe that God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. If you were to meet a very educated and intelligent evolutionist, do you know how many questions he could throw at you to make you stagger? But do you know what? If you're strong of faith, you're not going to stagger a bit because you're going to laugh at him all the way. Go ahead and believe that you came from a monkey. The more I think about it, the more I look at you, I can believe it too. But I believe that God created all things out of nothing. And through faith, we understand that the world... We understand? Do you mean we can understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that things which appear were not made of things? So that things which are seen are not made of things that do appear? Yes. Through faith, we can understand it. And I understand how this happened. God had mercy on you and me that we could have the words of God in our tongue on our laps to be able to check me out. And for me to be able to read and study and for you to be able to read and study, God is merciful. The first issue is faith. If a man doesn't have faith, there's no way you can ever figure this out. And the first thing you should ever talk about in textual criticism or which version is the Bible is faith. What has God told us that would give us the answer? Nobody wants to start there. They want to start in seminary. Well, the learned Dr. So-and-so would like to weigh in with his heavy opinion. And you know what God says of his heavy opinion? So that's why sem- seminaries are called cemeteries. Because the men and their opinions that come out of them are dead. God has given us the truth and we're to believe it by faith. It's always been that way. When Peter would stand up and start speaking, they would listen to him and they'd say, that man never went to school. Does it say that in the Bible? They knew he was unlearned, but what was the second thing they knew about him? He's been with Jesus. Do you know what that gave him? Authority. When Jesus spoke and the apostles spoke, they knew that there was authority because they had the Word of God. Pull out your false versions. They tell us the reason we have these new versions is to update the archaic language of the King James Bible. We don't want to change the Bible. All we want to do is update the outdated language of the King James Bible. That's what they tell us. Mark chapter 9. In your false versions, I'll read to you from the Word of God. It's worth having a false Bible. Evelyn, I feel bad for you. You've got to see it to believe it. They tell us all we've done is change the these and the thous to make it easier to read. We want the common man to be able to read the Bible. And so we've updated the old-fashioned language. Okay, Mark chapter 9. Who's got an NIV? Bernie? Read Mark 9.44 for us. Well, it's got a 43, doesn't it? Chris, Chris, can you read us a 44? No? No verse 44? Here's what it has to say. These are the words of God for 400 years. Men have bet their lives and their eternities on these words. Mark 9.44, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Would you have a motive if you were an unbeliever, if you were reading the Bible, to take out those words? 
I don't like reading about hell, that it's a place where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Mark 9.46 Chris, go for it. I wonder what it sounds like. Where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Turn to Mark chapter 11. How is that for updating the language? Is that how you update languages? Just get rid of it? Mark 11. Who has the new revised standard version? Who has the revised standard version? Paul, read us Mark 11.26. Can't find it. You have a 25th and you have a 27th, but there's no Mark 11.26. Here are the words. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Taken out of the Bible. They tell us, we just wanted to update the, update the language. We love the Word of God. We want to protect the Word of God. We just want people to be able to read it more easily. Where would the verse go? Why can I... Now, some of you might have the verse, but it's going to have brackets around it. And if it's got brackets around it, if you go to the front of the Bible, you're going to find out the verse doesn't really belong there, but we don't have the courage to take it out like the NIV. That's what it means. That's what brackets mean. That verse is gone. That is not updating the language. That's taking words out of Scripture. Look at chapter 15. I'm going to read verse 28, which is also missing. Mark 15:28. And the Scripture was fulfilled, which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. The fulfillment of Bible Scripture. Now, if you go to Mark chapter 16, beginning at verse 9, right around verse 9, you should have a line, or you should have brackets, or you should have something telling you that the verses verses 9 through 20 of Mark 16, the last chapter of Mark, do not belong in the Bible. Either you've got a line saying the two best manuscripts don't have these verses, or you have brackets which tell you that they don't really, they're not really Scripture, or they're altogether deleted. Because those 12 verses of Mark chapter 16 are not considered to be Scripture by all the textual critics. There are 17 whole verses deleted from the Gospel of Mark. Let's go to partial deletions. Back to Mark chapter 1. I'll read the verse. You tell me what's missing. Mark chapter 1 and verse 42. Mark 1.42 And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. You are missing the words, and as soon as he had spoken. Mark chapter 3 and verse 5. 3 5. This is just the Gospel of Mark. We did Matthew last Sunday. We'll do Mark this Sunday. What I'm trying to do is show you how many words have been taken out of the Word of God when the Bible tells us every word of God is pure. We're to live by every word of God. And it was men like Josiah who trembled before the words of God. Will you take one word out of our King James Bible and you destroy part of its internal integrity? Because we have already read from 1 Corinthians 2, we compare spiritual things with spiritual. We compare one word here with the same word there to learn how the Holy Spirit uses words. 
You take one of those away and you destroy the integrity of an infinitely perfect Bible. One, let alone all these. Okay, I'm going to read Mark 3, 5. You find out what's missing. And when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. Whole as the other is left off the end of that verse. Mark chapter 6. I love reading the accounts that it was as whole as the other. What doctor can do that? Can Benny Hinn do that? His hand was as whole as the other. Mark chapter 6 and verse 11. Follow along. Tell me what's missing. Mark 6.11 And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear you, when ye depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. That whole sentence of the second half of the verse is gone. Now, if I was one of these men that didn't receive the Lord Jesus Christ, and it said that it's going to be worse for me than for Sodom and Gomorrah, I might be tempted to remove that verse. And so it's gone. The second half of Mark 6.11 is gone. Do you know how many there are like that in just the Gospel of Mark? 32. 17 whole verses, 32 parts of verses. Now let's go to some omissions. I could, we could keep on going, but... Let's look at some omissions of the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 12. What is the one name that the devil fears above all other names? Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Trembles before Him. His devils, when they possessed men, would come and fall down at the feet of it. Possessed, fall down at the feet of the Lord Jesus and worship Him. And ask if He was come to torment them before their time. So the name of Jesus, and the name of God, and the name of Lord, and the title of Lord for Jesus, are removed over and over and over again in the New Testaments of these false versions. Mark twelve twenty seven. Jesus said, He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Ye therefore do greatly err. What's removed from Mark 12, 27? He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. God is, is taken out of that verse. 9, 24. Mark 9, 24. The first God is there. The second God is not there. If the second God is there, then it's a paraphrase and it's not a real translation. All the translations have removed the second God. Remember, there are paraphrases. What's a paraphrase? It's a businessman that's bored on his way to work. That's where the Living Bible came from. A man was named Kenneth Taylor. He was a businessman in Chicago. He had to ride the train to work. As he rode the train to work, he rewrote the Bible in his own words. And that was the Living Bible. Very popular back in the 70s. Hippies really got excited about it. Because it was written in street language for them. And see, that's called a paraphrase. It's not a translation. The, uh, the, The message which is the rage right now, the message, that's not a translation. That's really a paraphrase. That's a paraphrase written by a man named Eugene Peterson. Go read the front cover. He'll admit it. And so sometimes when you're reading a paraphrase, 
they forget which book they ought to be reading out of, and so they'll get a King James Version verse right from time to time. Like Kenneth Taylor was more right than the men translating because he was reading his King James Version on the way to work in Chicago and paraphrasing his novel from it. So it has some of the verses. But if you were to ask him what's the closest to the original, he would show you something in Greek or English that doesn't have those verses. You didn't really want to hear any of that, and I didn't really want to tell you. But I did. Mark 9, 24. And straightway, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Lord's missing. Did he cry with tears? No. With tears and Lord is missing from Mark 9, 24. When you read that he cried out with tears, Lord, doesn't that add to the story about that man coming to Jesus Christ and needing some deliverance for his son? And he knew who he was speaking to. He was addressing the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew he would be able to help him, though the disciples could not. There's 22 more like that in just the Gospel of Mark. Now let's go to some better ones. Some alterations of words that you need to be, you need to know your Bibles. Or you need to look at it closely. Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. These are my favorites. This shows the truth of these statements. These things have I hid from the wise and prudent and revealed them unto babes. Because these scholars, these educated and intelligent men that are puffed up in arrogant pride about their learning, do you know how you tell? You pick up a book and if they call themselves doctor, you know that you've got a puffed up man in pride. Why would he call himself a doctor in a book that he's written? If he had any humility, he wouldn't want that word to be used. Some others might use it about him, and he would not like it, but when he's writing a book, he would never want to be called doctor. Then in the back, he wouldn't want to tell you that he graduated Phi Beta Kappa. Why would he want to tell you that in the back of a book? When did Phi Beta Kappa ever help anyone find the truth? Why would he tell you that he reads a book a day? Who cares how many books he reads a day? He needs to start reading the Bible so that he can get some wisdom. Why would he ever say anything like that unless he was puffed up on his own learning? Well, let's take them and show them for what they are. Mark 1, 2. And I want you to remember some of these. When you're dealing with someone, you should be able to hand them a Bible and say, read Mark 1, 2 to me and explain it. Mark 1, 2. Let me read it to you from the King James. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. The Word of God says, as it is written in the prophets, because Mark 1, 2 is a quotation from Malachi. The footnotes will tell you that. It's from Malachi 3.1. Verse 3 is a quotation from Isaiah, Isaiah 40 and verse 3. So there's two prophets that are being quoted, and so the, the Holy Spirit gave us the sentence, as it is written in the prophets, because there's one quote from Malachi and one quote from Isaiah. Now the versions that you have in your hand say, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. It isn't written in Isaiah the prophet. Mark 1-2 is not in Isaiah. It's from Malachi 3-1, and they will admit it in their footnotes. If you have Bibles that have footnotes. Can you imagine that? 
They have put a lie into the Word of God, and every one of those editorial committees sits down. Nice to see you, Dr. So-and-so. Nice to see you, Doctor. Doctor, how are you doing? Doctor, did you get another doctorate? Are you working on number four or five now? Do you know what the, all those guys do? They pull out their pens. Ah, let's give the people the Word of God. And they sign off on the Gospel of Mark. And do you know what they've done to the Gospel of Mark? They have put a lie into it so that the simple little babes like you and me can come along and read Mark and know one thing for absolute certain. They don't know what they are talking about. Amen. Do you know why they made that change? Because there's 5,344 extant Greek manuscripts, and two of them say, as it is written in Isaiah. And can you guess what two those are? Vaticanus and Sinaiticus. I tell you the truth. Whether I'm telling you the truth or not doesn't really matter. Because God's already told you the truth. They're liars and they're stupid. How could you sign off on a book where you know that Mark 1-2 came from Malachi? You have a blinder. God has blinded them so they can't see. And we're able to look at that. You can read Isaiah five times this afternoon. You'll never find Mark 1-2 because it's in Malachi 3-1. Does anybody in here have one of these false versions with footnotes where they admit that it's from Malachi? Get your hands up high. You've really got dumb Bibles. Where they'll tell you in the footnote it comes from Malachi and then say in the text it comes from Isaiah. Do you love the Word of God? Those men 400 years ago were really blind, weren't they? 400 years ago. They had that figured out. Mark 14:65. Oh, these are these are these are very small little change. Now that's a pretty small change, isn't it? From prophets to Isaiah, was Isaiah a prophet? Are all prophets Isaiah? No. That's the problem. But it was a very small change, wasn't it? One word. One word that shows them up because we simple little people can come along and say, that's just not right. That's a lie. And they know it's a lie. Why would they lie to us intentionally? Why would they lie to us intentionally when they only have two manuscripts that say Isaiah? Why would they do that? And so God reveals things to us as simple people to know that you've got a real Bible when you've got the King James Bible. And there's no amount of intelligence and there's no amount of education that can get around what they did in Mark 1-2. And you know what you should do? Is jot that down on your memory bank so that you can hand someone a Bible and say, would you read me Mark 1-2 and explain it to me, please? Mark 14-65. Can you detect this change? Remember, I've worked up to the most subtle ones. Mark 14:65 and some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to buffet him and to say unto him prophesy and the servants did strike him with the palms of their hands That's right I wanted somebody to notice that they changed the word strike to receive they used their hands to receive him instead of strike him what word do you have? Oh, never mind. That's Mark fourteen sixty five. They replaced the word did strike 
with received or some other form like that, greatly altering the description of what they were doing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark 3.29. Mark 3.29. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost... Are you there, Mark 3.29? But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. He's guilty of eternal sin. It's eternal sin instead of eternal damnation. Simple little change, but does it change the meaning of that verse? Eternal damnation versus eternal sin. I'm thankful for a Bible that's plain about what's going to happen to those that blaspheme the Holy Ghost. Chapter 2 and verse 17. Mark 2.17 There's one word that's more important than any word in this verse. See if you can find it as I read the verse to you and see if it's in your version. When Jesus heard it, He saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The word repentance is dropped off the end of that verse. These, are, these happen over and over in just the little Gospel of Mark. Now, when you take 17 whole verses that were deleted, 32 partial verses that were deleted, 22 names omitted of Jesus as Lord or God, and then a whole lot of alterations like this that change the meaning of the verse, that is called corruption of the Word of God. And that is called stealing and adding to and altering the words of God. And so these false Bibles have all condemned themselves especially by saying that Mark 1-2 came from Isaiah when it came from Malachi, and they all agree among themselves. We are holding something that is rare, old, and it's the old paths, and it's the foundation on which Baptist churches have been, have been built for the last 400 years. Right. We want to seek the old paths, hold to the old paths, and walk therein. We want to keep this foundation because this is the foundation of God's words. As soon as you go to one of these versions, what's going to keep you from going to the next? You cannot say, well, this one's conservative and that one's not, because you have altered the words of God, and there is nothing to stop you from altering every single one of them. And so there is no foundation anymore. Isn't that the case as we look around? Is there anything that churches feel that they need to keep? Or are they changing everything because they no longer have a foundation for their feet? which is the words of God. That's why there's so much change. We are going to stick to this Bible. And all you young men, any one of you want to, to, to learn and to grow in this and get lists of these verses and to know the ones you ought to memorize, I'll help you do that. I don't get to go to the bank anymore. But when I used to go to the bank, in my briefcase, there were two Bibles. There was a King James Bible and an NIV at all times. That's so that I could have interesting lunch conversations by looking for a Christian that read the NIV so that I could hand him an NIV out of my briefcase and ask him to read Mark 1, 2 and other verses. You know, I like to embarrass him at lunch when he couldn't find it. And I would say, is verse 20 there? Yes. Is verse 22 there? He's, he's, he's trying to... Verse 22 is there, but I can't see verse 21. Just like we did last Lord's Day in Matthew 17. Some of these you ought to learn. Because it's very simple explanations for what's happened between the Bibles. So that nobody can say to you, 
Well, all we were trying to do was update that old-fashioned language. Because that's not what they're trying to do. They are operating in accordance with the devil who is trying to take away the words of God, who said in Genesis chapter 3, Yea, hath God said. And so we have the foundation taken away then, and we have the foundation being taken away now, and we are going to hold to the foundation. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen.